Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Fenway Park in Boston. It's the Boston Red Sox 3, the Cleveland Guardians 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And what a weird game it was last night. I don't know if it was the short rain delay in the middle of the third inning or what it was, but it was just a slow, plodding, weird game last night that the Red Sox eke out a 3-1 to win. Their offense does just enough to get them the win. Our offense comes up just short despite plenty of opportunities on the night. So let's get into it. Let's get into the storylines of the game. I think the big storyline of the game is that rain delay in the third inning. I mean, did that set a weird vibe in this stadium? Uh, in the middle of the bottom of the third inning, after they score their first run and we get our first out, uh, we go into like a 38-minute rain delay or something like that. And it was barely raining. The players were upset. The players were very upset. They got a great reaction from Quan out there in left field. He looks exactly, looks exactly the way I feel every since Little League. Every time a game has been rained out, I'm like, come on, just let us have fun, just let us play. And uh, of course, like Quan's up at the end of the game, and it's a torrential downpour on him while he's trying to trying to you know keep the game alive in the ninth inning. Uh, the rain comes roaring back. But yeah, uh, they had trouble with the tarp. Like they couldn't roll the tarp back up. Uh, it turned into a dance party. At one point, I mean, the Red Sox fans weren't even leaving their seats. And I don't know what song it was. They cranked up some song that had the entire stadium dancing, which was cool. I mean, a, a cool moment, a funny moment. Uh, but then it definitely wore out its welcome. Like they tried to keep playing. Wedding, they kept trying to play like wedding dance music. Like they played Dancing Queen at one point, and the crowd was like, No, we're done dancing. Well, let's go back to the baseball game, please. Uh, so yeah, so we had that really annoying rain delay. Uh, maybe the storyline, the top storyline, was that they were wearing their City Connect jerseys last night. That's right, the, the jerseys themed after the Boston Marathon. I'm sure some of you, if you listen on the radio or, or, uh, you know. Uh, tuned in late to the game. We're like, what? Who are we playing? Is this Tampa, Seattle? Who are we playing? Because uh, they were wearing their uh, it's the yellow jerseys with like the powder blue uh, hats and trim. And I think the City Connect jerseys are fun. I know they're weird. I know some of you are out there like that's not the traditional Boston Red Sox uniforms. That's the point. The point is they're supposed to be out there supposed to be something mixing it up a little bit interesting and they definitely mix them up with those jerseys i am dying i am dying to see what they're gonna do for the cleveland jerseys i they have not got around to us yet there have been no announcements that they're gonna get around to us they're going very slowly through all 30 teams in major league baseball i i can't imagine what they've hit like 12 15 of the teams so far uh what was the most recent one? The LA Angels probably is the most recent one. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many ways they could go with Cleveland City Connect jerseys. It could be Lake Erie themed. It could, what if they, what if they made a callback since we didn't get the Spiders nickname? What if they make a callback to the Spiders franchise with like black and purple uniforms? What if they make a callback to the Forest, Cleveland Forest City, the original franchise in Cleveland? 
right? And do some, you know, forest green jerseys. They can make a callback to the uh, to the Buckeyes, to the Cleveland Buckeyes, which would be obviously a double, you know, reference. Obviously, we're the Buckeye State, and it was the Negro League team here, and we could honor that history with some Buckeyes jerseys. Or, I mean, they could do what they always do and go rock and roll. And I was having fun with it last night on Twitter, and no one was engaging with me. I'm I'm very disappointed because I threw out some iconic, iconic rock and roll looks that they can be inspired by, right? Uh, Elvis with the sequins and the cape, right? Iconic rock and roll outfit. Freddie Mercury at Live Aid, iconic outfit. Kiss, I was like, ah, that one's a little too Detroit, right? Can't do Kiss. Uh, What about ACDC with the shorts? Could we be the second team to rock shorts on a Major League Baseball field, right? The White Sox did it, what, in like the 19-teens? Uh, so, yeah, so I was joking around, but no one was engaging with me. So my challenge to you, morning people, I want you to hit up the email address, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. I want to hear from some of you morning people out there, what would you do with the Cleveland Guardians City Connect jerseys? What would inspire you? What would you think would be a fun callback, a fun reference? Obviously, for Colorado, it was the mountains. For L.A., it was like the surf culture. For Boston, it was the marathon. Like, what would be the reference in Cleveland that would get you going? Corned beef sandwiches out in pierogies? I don't know. What would be the reference here in Cleveland that would get you excited, get you to buy a City Connect jersey? Obviously, that's the point. Uh, Make a little money, sell a few jerseys in the team shop. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious. ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know. Let me know what you think would be a cool City Connect jersey idea. All right, now let's actually get into the game because the top storyline of this game is the green monster the green monster loomed large over this entire thing in fact everything the red sox did offensively kind of ties back to the green monster in the third inning they go back to back off the green monster and in the first one we were not ready for it the first hit off the monster it's uh In the bottom of the third there, it is Jackie Bradley Jr. Now, he does hit one pretty hard. I mean, this is 98.5 miles per hour, uh, 29-degree launch angle, 376. So this one hits pretty pretty high, pretty hard off the monster. Both Straw and Quan, because this is left center field, both Straw and Quan get pinned against the monster. They get in too deep, and the ball bounces over Straw's head. They've got to recover it. Get it back in. Jackie Bradley's in there with a double. With a double. Next batter, Yolmer Sanchez. A little bit weaker contact. Plesak did not allow, allow a lot of hard hit balls. Only two hard hit balls off Plesak the entire night. But Yolmer Sanchez gets one at 89.9 miles per hour to left field. 25 degree launch angle. Only 316. And at a 160 expected batting average, Quant probably catches this ball. If it's in progressive field, but it's not, it's off the monster. However, Quant does learn his lesson on this one. He sits back on it, takes the easy hop off the wall, throws it into second, beats Yomar Sanchez there by at least 30 feet, and uh, to the point where they can't even, if it's Jimenez covering, he can't even make the tag. Like, he swipes for a tag, and there's nobody there. He's got to then get up and run and chase him down. They get him in a rundown. They get him out. Jackie Bradley does come in to score the first run. Frankly, if Quan was, I mean, his instruction there, 
The instruction when you go to Boston, you get one off the wall, you come up firing to second base. You come up hard to second base. If he, someone could have been shouting at him if he would have read the play for just a second, he honest to God had to throw home. I mean, Jackie Bradley was barely rounding third base when he came up with that ball and threw. So there may have been a play at the plate, but that's the instruction. You get it off the monster, you go to second. So I can't blame him there. They get the out. Uh, he gets the outfield assist. They gun out Sanchez and get him in a rundown. Then the rain delay comes. So two hits back-to-back off the monster. Then in the sixth inning, it would rear its ugly head again. After a leadoff walk to uh, Rob Snyder. ooh, that's going to hurt. Leadoff walks always hurt. Verdugo doubles off the monster. This time, it does get over Quan's head. He pins himself in there again. Again, something he probably catches. It had an expected batting average of 150. It was 92.7 mile per hour exit velocity, velocity, 27 degree launch angle, 339. He catches this in Cleveland. No doubt about it. He catches this in Cleveland, but he gets trapped against the wall. This one takes a big hop over his head. I mean, to the fact where he kind of leaps and falls down. It's actually uh, Rosario who comes out from shortstop who ends up with the ball. So it goes in the box score. It goes as a double to Ahmed Rosario, which is bizarre to see. And it brings in Ref Snyder to score, and Verdugo's in a second with a double. Bogarts would shoot a single into the right into right field, which would move him over to third. And then Vasquez, both of these are weak contact. Bogarts with a single at 76.8 miles per hour. Vasquez bloops one in then to center field that falls in front of Straw at 71.9 mile per hour exit velocity. And it brings in Verdugo, the guy who doubled off the monster, brings him in to score. So the monster does have a hand in all three Red Sox runs yesterday. So will Straw have learned his lesson? You know, will he make the adjustment? Uh, it's tough. It's the first time he's ever played <laughs> against the monster. And I mean, it is, I'm sure a lot of baseball, half the, half the baseball world would probably say it's the greatest home run, home field advantage of all time. And half of baseball will tell you it is the dumbest, most ridiculous home field advantage of all time. I would say that right field in New York and left field in Houston might be more ridiculous. Might be more ridiculous because at least the monster presents the challenge that you got to get over it, right? You'll get gunned out at uh, second base like uh, uh, Yomer Sanchez did in the third inning. So at least there's that, uh, right? It's so easy to hit a home run to left field in Houston and right field in New York. Uh, those, I feel like, are more ridiculous home field advantages right there. So, yeah, that costs us our three runs. That cost Plesak the game. He ends up taking the loss on the day. Um, and the Red Sox do just enough offensively. I think the other storyline for me was Pavetta versus Plesak because both of them were pitching very similar on the day. They both survived the rain delay. They both go on to throw 90-plus pitches. Probably saved their bullpens a little bit. Uh, Plesak goes five innings, gives up three hits. He does give up some hits to start that sixth inning. Gives up three earned runs. One of those was an inherited runner that Trevor Steffen gives up. Uh, three walks, so the walk does come back to cost him there in the sixth inning. And four strikeouts. 96 pitches. He's only hard hit twice. Pavetta on the other side, five and two-thirds. He gives up seven hits. Plesak only gave up three hits. Plavetta gives up seven hits, only one earned run, 
three walks, don't come back to cost him, and uh, six strikeouts. On 95 pitches, he's hard at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. So, yeah, both of them were getting ground balls, which I thought was interesting. Uh, it seemed like everybody was grounding out on the day. Plesak in the box score, it's seven ground outs to one flyout. For Pavetta, it's seven ground outs to two flyouts. And not only were they both getting ground balls, but they were both getting the teams to expand the strike zone for strikeouts. Now, it's not eye-popping CSW numbers for either starter. Uh, Plesak had nine whiffs on 44 swings. It's a 20% whiff rate. Uh, 11 called strikes added in there. It's only a 21% CSW. In fact, it's on all three of his pitches, the curveball he threw three times, it's 21, 21, and 22 CSW numbers. So uh, not huge CSWs, but we contact. The average exit velocity off his three pitches, the fastball, 87.6. The changeup, 88.1. The slider, 84.4. It's average exit velocity of 87.3. That's pretty good stuff. Normally, we would take that every day of the week. And for Pavetta on the other side, it's a 30% whiff rate, 13 whiffs on 44 swings. What was Polisak? It was nine whiffs on 44 swings. Uh, so the same amount of swings. All right, there you go. 18 called strikes for Pavetta. So it is a 33% CSW. His fastball was pretty good. Seven whiffs, 13 called strikes on the fastball, a 39 uh, CSW on that pitch. And again, weak contact, 87.5 off his fastball, 80.1 off his curve, and 87.8 off his slider. It's an average exit velocity of 84.9. A little more extreme because we did have a few more hard hit balls off of him. Uh, so, yeah, so both of them pitching very similar. And then to get those strikeouts, they were expanding the strike zone. Uh, if we look at just the strikeouts here, uh, Plesak gets his four. He gets Duran twice on changeups away. And then he goes glove side with a fastball off the plate to get Bobby Dahlbeck and a slider off the plate to get Xander Bogarts way off the plate. Gets him to really expand there. So his four strikeouts come from people expanding the zone. And then Pavetta, his six strikeouts come from the top of the zone. He gets Fermil Freyas on a fastball way at the top of the zone. He gets Andres Jimenez up there. Believe me, we've talked about this before. If I'm trying to strike out Andres Jimenez, I'm going to the top of the zone. That's where I'm going. He gets Nolan Jones on a slider that doesn't make it back to the plate. You know, a backdoor slider that doesn't make it through the back door. He still swings at it. Uh, he does get Fermil Reyes at the top of the strike zone with a high swinging through a high fastball there. Uh, he gets Austin Hedges to expand the zone and chase a fastball away. And then he does drop a knuckle curve right on the inside edge against Jose Ramirez. So four of his strikeouts come from pitches outside the strike zone, four of the six. And frankly, five of the six come from the top of the strike zone, getting guys to go up the ladder uh, at the top of the strike zone there. Uh, so yeah, really getting us to expand the strike zone. Uh, and chase some stuff. So that's where all the strikeouts were coming on the day. So you can see Pavetta and Plesek have very similar outings. And Pavetta was coming off a terrible month. Now, he pitched good against us in uh, June when he got the win. He went seven innings in Cleveland. He gave up nine hits in that game, only two earned runs, though. Uh, no walks in that one and four strikeouts. So it was a, despite all the hits, he manages a solid outing and the win against us in June, and now he gets a no decision in this one, uh, but obviously pitched very good, which is, 
He was not having a good month. I mean, he was getting hammered by the AL East so far in three starts in the month of July. His ERA for the month of July is 995. The Rays put up seven runs against him. And then in back-to-back games, the Yankees put up six runs and then seven runs against him. So now he gets a rebound game against the Cleveland Guardians. We can't, man, we just cannot solve the Boston Red Sox. And then the last storyline for me is, man, we had our opportunities, but we really left some guys on base. We really, really left some guys on base in this one. In that uh, second inning, we get back-to-back singles from uh, Reyes and Andres Jimenez, but then Nolan Jones and Austin Hedges would strike out. And this would be a common theme. The bottom of the lineup, the RBIs would situations would fall to the bottom of the lineup, and they were leaving guys on base. Uh, Straw would single to kick off the third, and we can't do anything with it. That might have been a nice situation to turn the lineup over and get some runs there. Uh, in the fourth inning, two walks in that inning. With a strikeout in, sandwiched in between, Naylor and Jimenez both walk, and then Jones and Hedges once again in RBI situations, ground out, ground out to end the inning. Uh, so they do get a run across. Uh, in the fifth inning, they do get a run across. Uh, Straw would single. Quan would single. Back-to-back singles to kick off the inning. You're in a really good situation. Ahmed Rosario would ground into a double play, though. But Jose Ramirez would come out. He would get the two-out RBI hit. It's a dribbler. It's a 58.6 mile per hour exit velocity. It was a protect swing. He was just trying to fobble a pitch off, and he ends up hitting it fair. It's a minus 22 degree launch angle. It goes seven feet. It has an expected batting average of 0.70, but they were shifted over on him, and nobody's there uh, to really clean it up. By the time the third baseman, Dahlbeck, gets over there, uh, the run's in the score, and Ramirez is safe at first. So, The weakest of weak contact is what finally drives in the first run. It tied the game up in the fifth inning, but you kick off an inning with back-to-back singles, you're expecting a lot more, especially that's the second time that Straw has been able to single the lead off an inning and turn things over to the top of the lineup, and they just really can't open the game up. Uh, Two runners on in the sixth inning then. Uh, This time it's Nolan Jones and Austin Hedges, the two guys that have struggled to drive runs in, finally get on base with a single, with a walk and a single, and this time Miles Straw with two outs can't come up with the hit. He's forced out to end that sixth inning. Uh, So yeah, our last base runner runner would come in the seventh, a two-out single from Jose Ramirez. So yeah, maybe too many of these rally attempts started with two outs, right? Maybe too many were hoping for two-out rally, and we just couldn't get it done. That's very hard to do. But, I mean, we went one for seven with runners in scoring position. The Red Sox went three for eight. And the bottom of our order, I mean, Nolan Jones had four chances. He left four guys on base. Hedges left four guys on base. Straw left two guys on base. So the bottom three in our order combined for 10 guys left on base. And, yeah, that's going to be a struggle. You got to – this offense, it seems like for the last three games – in this little mini three-game losing streak, just can't find the big hit anywhere. Uh, they had their opportunities. They out-hit the Red Sox 8-6. to six. They had their opportunities on the day, and they just couldn't get it done. Pavetta walked three guys. He really was giving us our opportunities, and we just couldn't get it done. All right, wrapping this thing up, the last thing I'm going to talk about, and it's going to lead into MVP on the day, is the bullpen. Uh, Trevor Steffen does come in. He gives up an inherited run. He, he does get two strikeouts after that. 
So after the two kind of weak contact singles, he does bear down and get two strikeouts. Henches comes in and finishes that inning, gets one out in the next inning, and then, you know, they're down three to one. They go to Karinchek. Uh, and Karinchek probably has his best performance of the season so far. Uh, he comes in, goes an inning and two thirds, uh, and gets four strikeouts, including striking out the side in the bottom of the eighth inning. So, yeah, Karinchek really comes in. Uh, he had gone two innings against the White Sox, so he had gone an inning plus before on the season. Uh, it's the most strikeouts he's recorded in a game so far at four strikeouts. Uh, so, yeah, Karinchek has been okay. He's been okay since being recalled, since coming back from injury. And I know, obviously, the big thing with Karinchek is the sticky stuff, right? He's got to figure out how to pitch without the sticky stuff. He's got to figure out how to spin the ball. Well, I can tell you that the curveball, he has figured out how to re-spin the curveball because the spin rate on the curveball had been plummeting since that uh, rookie season in 2019. The initial spin on that curveball was 2,557 RPMs. And spin is very important to the way Karinchek pitches because he wants that fastball as flat as possible and he wants that curveball dropping off as hard as possible. So this, the curveball spin drops in 2020 to 2,360 RPMs. It drops again in 2021. Remember, now they're outlawing the sticky stuff. Now a spin rate's really going to fall to 2,295 RPMs. Well, now it's back up to 2,409 RPMs. So he's got it back over where it was in the 2020 season. Now, it's not the same for the fastball. The fastball spin maxes out in uh, the 2020 season, slightly up from his rookie season, uh, 2,387. Uh, it maxes out at 2,399 in the 2020 season. It then plummets uh, in the... Uh, 2021 season, 2,309, so it drops almost a night. It dropped almost. It drops 90 RPM, and then it's fallen even more this season. It's down at 2,266. So the spin is down on the fastball, and that's the thing that the sticky stuff really affected. It seemed like more than the more than the curveball, it was actually affecting the fastball. It was allowing it to spin the fastball, which kept the vertical drop. Uh, kept that ball from dropping, you know, the effects of gravity. Every fastball drops a little bit. We talk about Tristan McKenzie. Why McKenzie's is so good? Because it doesn't drop. It stays up there. It stays straight. Probably feels like it rises a little bit because of that. Well, Karen Checks used to be like that. It had a drop of 9.8 inches uh, in his rookie year, 9.4 in 2020. Last year, it was dropping 12 inches. That's a significant difference between a riding fastball that feels like it rides up in the zone and a ball that drops right into the sweet spot of your bat, uh, one that you're used to seeing the drop on. This year, the vertical drop on that four-seamer is at 10.8. So he's kind of splitting the difference between where he was as a rookie versus where he was struggling in that 2021 season. So yeah, he has a little bit better feel for his pitches. That's what we hoped for. That's what we thought he was working on down at AAA, and it turns out maybe there is something to it. Maybe he has found something. I mean, striking out the side in the eighth inning was a very good performance from Karinczak. So I've given him MVP on the day, you know, on a day when the offense didn't really deliver much. 
Uh, you know, Straw had two leadoff hits. He was trying to get things going. He scored the only run. Ramirez with the only RBI. He had two hits on the day as well. I think Karinchek striking out the side in the eighth inning. Going an inning and two-thirds to keep the Guardians in this game. Try to give them a chance late in the game. Even though they couldn't get anything going off of the Red Sox bullpen. Karinchek at least kept them in the game and had a good performance. So MVP on the day is going to James Karinchek. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. We have to solve the Boston Red Sox. I mean, they were just getting absolutely hammered by Toronto in their last series. And then we come up and we can't get anything done. And they've got a lot of guys on the IL right now too, right? Their stars are on the IL. No Trevor Story in this one. No Rafael Devers in this one. They're both on the IL. They're missing some big stars in this lineup, and they're still beating us. So we have got to get something done. Now, if you haven't heard yet what you're in store for tonight, let me give you a heads up because it's going to be rough. It's not going to be Baddenfield, Peyton Baddenfield starting, the guy we all want to see start. He actually pitched like a day or two ago. He had a start for Columbus. So it's just based on his turn in the rotation. It wasn't going to be him anyways they're going to go with an opener. This is the plan. Tito said this. They're going to go with an opener of Brian Shaw. And then they're going to go to Kirk McCarty. They're going to call McCarty up. They're going to see how long McCarty can last. And it's kind of going to be a bullpen game. It's kind of going to be a bullpen game after that. So McCarty might only last one time through the lineup, right? He might only last you three innings. Then you're right back into the bullpen. So that's the plan. We'll see how long McCarty lasts. We'll see if Shaw survives as an opener. I, I don't know what to make of it. You know, you never know what you're going to get for Brian Shaw. He could go out there and just be dominant with his cutter, and he could get blown up and give up two home runs in the first inning. So we'll see. It's not insp- It's uninspiring. Let's say that. It's uninspiring. You really wanted to see one of the young guys get an opportunity They're one of the young guys that has a little bit of interest, you know, a little bit of mojo going for him, some momentum, Baddenfield, Xavion Curry. It would have been interesting to see one of those guys get the start in Savali's spot, but instead it's going to kind of be a bullpen game with Kurt McCarty seeing how long he can go for. So that's what you're in store for tonight. Whatever goes down with this bullpen game, we will definitely be back tomorrow to talk about it. Again, the final from this game, it's the Red Sox 3, the Guardians 1. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can also hit me up there. Find that thread if you have ideas about what you think the Guardians City Connect uniforms are going to be. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. I'm challenging you, morning people. I'm challenging you to get in on this conversation with me and have some fun about what these uniforms could look like. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>